Legion of Stars, Chapter 4. Travel to and arrival in Hereford, visiting shops, the Magic College, and the castle steps. Lewin eventually arose from his deep meditation and headed downstairs. It was early enough that only the bartender had arrived for work. Lewin sat at a secluded table that looked out at the town square. He ate toast and drank coffee while listening to the town crier. Everfall still holds steady against the Union's oppression. Ravenven may be at the back of the line of the original great fortresses, but that just means we must help more. For we all know that the backbone is vital for the body to live. For without it, we would get all floppy. Loon looked up from his light breakfast and out the window at the crier. He looked like a sane person, but his words spoke otherwise. Maybe it would get better. We must still fight against the oppression. And my guild entreats all eligible to enlist in the fight for your country alongside your brothers. Loon went back to his coffee and toast. After a while, Lumir walked down from the upper floor and found him. He sat at the table and took some of the bread. Morning. Loon put down his drink. Good morning. When do we leave? Just after breakfast, so eat well. Loon flagged down the waiter. It was the same halfling. Hello again, gents. Will it be the same as yesterday? Yes, Loon said. And some more salt on the potatoes this time, please. Lumiere said. Loon reached into his coin bag and put the payment in the halfling's extended hand. And like before, he walked behind the bar. Loon and Lumiere sat in silence as they waited for food. Loon had a book in hand, and Lumiere looked to be in a meditative state. Plates clattered down in front of them after a while. Well, what happened to you? You're normally so talkative. Lumiere looked up from his trance. It's nothing. Let's eat and get going to Hereford. Loon thought of pressing more, but then decided not to. They ate and then left, mounting stardust and heading out of the city. They passed through the eastern city gates. Loon steered off-road to the northeast. The trip was quiet and uneventful. To be fair, bandits didn't really come out in the winter. It was another four or so days until they arrived at Hereford. A day before the estimated time they would arrive, they reached the cusp of a hill. From this high point, they saw the outermost wall of Hereford. It stood monolithic in the distance. Spires peaked above the wall like spears behind a phalanx. The capital city faded away under the horizon as they descended. The next day, Loon and Lumiere approached the southern perimeter of Hereford. The outer wall was huge, stretching at least a hundred feet into the sky. Jutting out of the southwest wall was the monolithic building of Miskatonic. It towered against the wall and melded with the city wall, where they met. In fact, it almost melted into the wall. Loon and Lumiere rode onto the road again. They approached the city gate, which surprisingly had no guards at the ground level of the entrance. However, Loon noticed the archers sitting ready in the watchtowers. As they passed under the gate, Loon felt the guard's watchful eyes track him as if they were glued to his back. The city's outer wall was incredibly thick, making the gate almost like a tunnel. In the center, it grew dark and there was no noise. After about ten feet, they started hearing muffled voices and music. Quickly, the sounds became overwhelming as they entered into a massive active market plaza. This part of the city was on the center road, which had to be 20 feet wide. This plaza was a half circle that was filled with merchants selling goods from stalls. All around, there were festively colored banners and people in vivid and brightly colored clothes. The scent of fresh-baked goods and roasted meats flooded the streets and masked the smells of commerce. Loon dismounted when he found the stables and hired a stall for Stardust. 
figuring how long they would be in the city, she would be staying here for a while. He paid standard rates for a week, which came out to around 50 gold. He then turned to Stardust and patted her nose. You're expensive. Let these men take care of you. Don't cause trouble. Stardust trotted off onto the open stable. She started drinking out of the water trough as the gate was closed. Loon walked away with Lumiere in tow. As they walked through the plaza with the late day sun at their backs, Loon mentioned that they needed to find an inn. As they passed the bustling market square, more permanent buildings started to line the streets. One of these buildings had a large porch adorned with tables and a large hanging sign. Gold Street Inn, it read. Loon opened the door and made his way inside. Inside was a small restaurant, or rather eatery, with a few tables. It appeared that the rest of the building was committed to private rooms. Loon walked the short distance to the bar. No one was manning the counter. Some diners were eating quietly, and the kitchen sounded alive. Loon decided to sit and wait until he noticed there were no stools. At the small bar, there was a silver bell. He rang it. A womanly, human-like voice came from the kitchen. Just a minute. Now you, over there, and don't burn those. The opening into the kitchen showed a glimpse of what was happening as the woman rushed to the door and a floating pot made its way to the sink. The door shot open and the frazzled woman walked out and rushed to the counter. Yes, yes. Welcome to the Gold Street Inn. What can I do for you, sirs? Loon leaned on the counter, a tactic he found made him appear shorter and more approachable. I wanted rent for a room. How much would that be a night? One gold, if you reserve it for an extended period. Great. I was looking to stay here for the next two to three months. Alright, that would be the next two weeks at seven silver per night, and if you wish to reserve further rent is due every two weeks. Loon did the mental math and laid out the required gold and silver on the countertop. The innkeeper carefully counted the coins and then handed them the key. Room 13. Thank you, ma'am. Loon quickly scooped up the key and headed through the door that said rooms with Lumiere in tow. They entered a long hallway with doors on one side. At the end of the hall was a staircase leading up. The last room in the hall was numbered 10, so Loon walked up the stairs. He set the key in the lock and turned it. The door clicked and sharply opened. Loon looked down at the key as he felt something strange. The main plate had a glowing symbol embedded in it. He identified the mark as the symbol for the spell Arcane Lock. Clever. Inside, the room was rather nice. The space consisted of a main room and one bedroom with two beds. The main room had a small couch and a stout table. There was also a small counter with cabinets that held dishes. Lewin threw his bag under the couch and started setting up his alchemist kit. He sat on the low sofa and started reading the alchemy books while Lumiere situated himself. The book Loon read covered several different forms of poisons, the slow kinds and the fast ones and all the types in between. There was a section entirely on different effects. His eyes were drawn to something called neurotoxin, a poison that targeted the brain. There were subcategories too, most focused on how to target different parts of the brain. Loon quickly flipped to the S section and looked for silver. There were a few paragraphs that covered the use of powdered silver in potions. Some silver can be dissolved into potions, the book read. However, the amount that can be completely dissolved into a base is small. The reason for using silver is not for dealing damage, but for refraining certain monsters and undead from healing. The amount that can be dissolved into a normal dose is just enough to heed the natural healing processes of creatures, e.g. vampires, werewolves, liches, windigos, etc. For reference on a normal dose size, see chapter 1, page 12. 
Loon flipped back to the section on neurotoxins. He placed the book to the side of the alchemy supplies and started working with what he had found on the road. Many ingredients had to be ground with a mortar and pestle. Grinding up several gems, flowers, and bugs made a strange powder. Taking some water from his water skin, Loon filled a beaker. He then went through the complex series of actions to boil the mixed dust into the brew. He marveled a bit at the ingenuity of the Dwarven kit. The flame produced nothing but light and heat. It must have been magical. While he waited, he had a pipe and some good Ravenvin whiskey. Lumiere sat on the plush chair near the stout table turned lab. His blindfold was off and he was looking out the window. All the colors seemed extravagant to him and strangely vibrant. This room was strange. Not only was the room magically locked, but... All noise from the outside was almost inaudible here. The magic in the city so far was clever. Lumiere watched as the sun set, clasping his hands and silently gave his nightly prayer. He rose and went to bed. Good night, Loon. Loon puffed out a multicolored smoke wing. Night, Lumiere. Lumiere threw himself onto one of the beds and hoped he wouldn't dream again. Loon mixed some powdered silver into the completed tonic. The silver slowly dissolved into the potion. Loon read the book on how to test the mixture. He dabbed a little onto his tongue and it went numb. Perfect. He then poured the toxin into several small glass vials and loaded them into his silver claw gauntlet. Face still feeling numb, Loon checked on Lumiere. He was asleep. Loon cleaned up his mess and headed out for the night. When he entered the main room of the inn, the woman was still working at the counter. Ma'am. She looked up from cleaning. Yes. If one had a monster or bounty to turn in, where might he do so? Oh, uh, I think it's the King's Guardhouse, right outside the castle that accepts bounties. Thank you, Loon said as he turned away. Be safe, the innkeeper called after him as he went through the door into the streets. The entire city was still lit, even though the sun had set about an hour ago. The market down the road did not appear to have slowed, even in the middle of night. Loon turned and started walking further down the street to the castle. He walked past another great wall after a while, and was now in an area that was actually calm and quiet. All the houses were nicer and stood tall, with clear windows and vibrant paints and patterns. This area was notably smaller than the area within the first wall. Another wall fortified the castle itself, as well as the surrounding buildings, such as the king's garrison and other royal offices. Loon walked into the king's guardhouse and met a tired guard captain. Hello, sir, the guard greeted. What can I do for you? Loon reached into his bag of holding. I was wondering what this was worth. He pulled the vampire head out of the bag and plopped it down onto the counter. The guard looked at it through the glass, unamused. Loon showed the teeth and uncovered the eyes. Put it in the chute for inspection. A metal chute opened near Loon and he placed the head inside. It rolled over to a cubby near the tired guard. He picked up a square stone. Could we get that necro in the front desk, please? Then he put down the square stone and stared blankly into Loon. After a few awkward moments, a man in black robes with a gaunt face and tiny sunken black eyes approached the counter and inspected the head. Unlike the guard, this man did not look tired, but also did not seem to care about the decapitated head he was holding. 
He fished his finger around the hole where the spine belonged. It came back covered in black clotted blood that he tasted and swallowed. He then checked the teeth and tongue, eyes, and lastly inspected the ear cavity. Not old, but not too young. I'd say it's worth 1,620 gold. The robed man put the head into his robes. Thank you for turning this in, sir. I will get your payment now. The black-robed man disappeared into another room. After another few awkward moments, the robed figure came into the actual entryway that Loon was standing in. He had a rather large bag in his hand. Here is the 100 platinum and 620 gold. I need your name. Loon took the money and replied, I am Lunavoyce. That is U-V-W-I-Y-S-E. The robed man pulled a thick book out of his robes and scanned through a few pages. He scoffed and pulled out a pen. Marking the book, he asked again how to spell Loon's last name. Loon complied, and his name was written in the tome. The skeletal figure put the book back into his robes and pulled out a silver symbol. Take this. Loon accepted the metal item. What is it? You weren't in the book, so this is your license. You may now hunt and requisition things to be used in your hunts legally. Loon looked at the symbol. It was remarkably familiar, being a sword going through a crescent moon. He put it on one of his coat's inner pockets. He gave a short farewell to the black-robed man and left the guardhouse. Loon then found a dark secluded alley and started to jump off the walls. He landed on the roof of a royal office building silently and made his way to the Golden Keep. He evaded detection by being on the roofs of buildings and landed quietly on the stones in front of the keep. Looking over his shoulder, Loon started fishing around in his bag for a few items. He pulled out a necklace that looked like a leaf made of emerald and gold. Another item was a simple leather pouch he knew contained a mysterious vial which suspended a drop of blood that he could not touch being an elf. Lastly, he pulled out a gold and silver anchor from around his neck which he threw at the doorstep. Finally, Loon took the cursed rapier. He left it on the steps and started to walk away. He felt his body get yanked back to the sword. The accursed voice rang in his mind. You belong with... It was cut off by a bout of holy rage. Loon stepped on the orcish blade and yanked on the hilt. The sword snapped under his divine rage, and the voice spoke no more. He left the broken blade on the stairs. After knocking on the door, Loon left back to the nearby building. He could have sworn that he heard the door open behind him. Loon made his way back to the Golden Street Inn and walked back upstairs. He sat at the low table and relit his pipe. He spent the night reading three books. His alchemy book, a magical book he bought a while ago, and also his celestial book. He was keeping notes with a spectral hand that wrote in his slowly expanding spellbook. Luckily, he found somatic, verbal, and material components for spells. Unfortunately, he did not have the proper paper or ink to copy them. He dog-eared the papers with the spell components on them and carried on. The next morning, Loon saw Lumiere walk out of the bedroom, looking as though he had not slept. He threw himself into the armchair. Morning, Loon said. Mmph, was the unintelligible grunt he got in response. I'm going to try and go to Miskatonic today. Are you coming with? Lumiere pulled his face out of the chair. Yeah, sure. You okay? Couldn't sleep. Then stay here. We have the room for actual weeks. I think I might. Loon got up and closed up his series of books. 
Well, try and get some rest, he said as he walked by. I don't know how long I'll be gone. Loon put his coat on and left. The market was even louder and busier today than yesterday. The streets were flooded with people and sounds. Loon found it interesting that the town criers were not mentioning anything about the war. He also noticed the city was fully guarded with fully armored guards, not a replacement militia. Strange. Loon made his way out of the walls and to the south towards Miskatonic. He knocked on the massive door once he arrived. The giant double doors swung open without an attendant on the other side. Loon saw Vidalkin words appear in the air. Hello. What might I do for you? Loon noticed that this was an unseen servant and was thus being made from a spell. He responded by speech. I'm here to try to gain access to the campus. The unseen servant showed the words, Wait here. And a glowing hand directed Loon to a chair in the foyer. Loon sat and waited as the servant went further into the school. After a moment of waiting, the doors opened and a man in blue scholarly robes, with three or four books worth of writing on them, approached Loon and extended a hand. Loon shook it as he stood. I understand that you would like to be allowed onto our campus. You must know the rules. Show me something new. Loon handed the wizard his spell book. It was opened to the cantrip Push, which Loon wrote. The wizard read it and studied the swaths of notes that Loon had to take while writing it. Loon started explaining the spell. This is to be used by a mage to get his opponent away from him should they get close. On the chance that they miss, cast this and throw them away from you. If they aren't expecting it, the spell can even deal some damage. The robed man had a quizzical look on his face. It also has a chance just to not happen. So does Firebolt. Alright. The scholar handed Loon the book. Demonstrate it. Without hesitation, Loon cast push on the wizard, throwing him back fifteen feet and flat onto his back. Loon walked over and helped the man up. He flattened out his robes as he stood. Alright, well, that is something new. He extended a thin hand. Welcome to the college, Miskatonic. He pushed open the doors he had come through and revealed a space too big to exist in the physical building. The hall stretched outward beyond the horizon, inside were magical machines and spirits that moved and floated about helping students and professors. Magic was everywhere here. The man in blue walked over to a desk in the front of the immense hall. Here's the campus guide. If you should wish to attend lectures, there is a time guide on the back. He said, handing Loon a book. My name is Professor Artrun. I am Master of Admissions. If you have any questions, find me. Atrun then sharply turned and walked away. Loon followed the guide to the libraries and started studying spells. He then remembered that he was out of paper. Looking to the map, he saw that there was a general store on campus and started walking to it. When he left the main school hall, he saw something unbelievable. He was no longer in the main world of Teladar. He was on an island, in the center of a vast sea. Everyone around him walked as though this was normal, while Loon was captivated by everything around him. Loon walked through the roads that weaved through the college campus. He found his way to the general store and walked inside. The store's interior was dark wood and shag carpeting. Behind the counter was an old human. He looked up at Loon and welcomed him. Loon investigated the wares on display, 
There were trinkets of minor magical power, things such as pocket watch that showed stars behind the hands of the clock that changed perspective when the viewer looked at the watch from a different angles. Other trinkets were in the opening of the store, while the rest of the shop had crystals hanging on chains, presumably focuses, and staves. In a secluded corner, there were bottles of inks, stacks of paper, and pre-made quill pens. Loon stacked up a pile of papers and grabbed some bottles of ink, as well as the aforementioned watch. The cashier counted the sheets and charged Loon 50 gold. Loon paid and threw the supplies into his bag and walked out of the store. He walked back to the library and started studying spells. He had to spend hours recording and learning spells. Several people looked at him but did not ask who he was. He spent all of his time and used most of his paper and ink that day. When he left Miskatonic, it was sunset. Walking back into Hereford, Loon bought some goods at the market and went back into the Gold Street Inn. He walked to his room and saw that Lumiere had fallen asleep in the chair that he fell into that morning. It appeared that he had not moved since Loon left. Loon again spent his night reading and brewing potions. The next day, Loon arose from the couch and woke Lumiere. What? You feeling any better? Not really. Is it like a headache? No, I just can't sleep or feel rested, I guess. Loon stood ready to leave again. I'll see if I can find something for you. For now, pray and try to rest. Loon grabbed his coat again and left the room. Loon made his way to the plaza and found a town map. Finding a smithy with a dwarvish name, Loon made his way to the sector where the smiths practiced. It was now that Loon noticed the size of this city. It had to have several cities worth of people and buildings. Loon walked for an hour until he reached his destination. He entered the smithy, named Samilin Namil, and was instantly assailed by the heat. There was a hill dwarf in the back, slamming a hammer into a glowing sword. A wood elf came from another part of the room, and covered in soot and ash. What can I do for you? The elf was speaking over the hammering of the shop behind him. I just wanted to know if you had a training program, Loon shouted back. The wood elf wiped his face with a dirty rag, only barely cleaning anything off. Well, we do. It's costly, and a four-week apprenticeship for learning proficiency. How much? The elf turned to the dwarf, still hammering away. Oi! He yelled. Hold on to that, I'm talking to a customer. The dwarf ceased his hammering. Sorry, Namil. Namil turned back to Loon. The course is ten gold a day. Start at eight, work till four. We'll teach you what we know. Sounds great. Where can I start? Well, it's Sunday, so tomorrow would be fine. Take payment forward, though. Helps us not get scammed. No, that's fine. Loon reached into his bag of holding and counted out the coin. He handed Emil 280 gold. All right, it's tomorrow. Loon left and quickly went back to check on Lumiere. He arrived back at the inn and entered the room. Lumiere was awake and sitting in the chair. It was about noon. Are you okay? Lumiere started. Huh? Oh, you're back. I think we need to find you a priest. But moving takes energy. Uh, then I'll carry you. Let's go. Loon hosted Lumiere out of the chair and walked out of the room. On the streets, Loon started looking for a church of Selyun. A few city blocks away, there was a church. It was huge, even in comparison to the cathedral that stood in Stormwind. Entering the open doors, Loon saw the vast, great room. It was grand and open. It had reinforced glass that stained with celestial bodies, and a moon in the center. 
Most of the building was made of grey stone and marble laced with silver. A man in matte grey robes was kneeling at an altar. When he heard the footsteps echo through the building, he rose and turned to see Loon assisting Lumiere. The priest ran up to meet them as Lumiere fell to the steps, sliding down one of the pillars until he sat upon the grey steps. He was even paler than he looked before, if that was possible. What is the matter with him? The grey-robed man asked. Loon knelt down. He says he can't get any sleep. I saw him asleep, though, so something must be keeping him from getting rest. The priest of Selian placed his hand on Lumiere's head. Yes, there is something there. Leave him with me. I will attempt to fix this. It is fatigue of the soul and will take time. Will he be fine? The priest raised Lumiere off of the steps. He should be. I have seen this before. It will take time. The priest caught a glance of the stake dangling from Lumiere's wrist and his brow furrowed. Loon turned to leave and the priest raised a brow in a knowing way when he saw the symbol on Loon's coat. Loon headed out, filled with concern, but knowing that he could do nothing to help. Loon made his way back to Miskatonic and researched more and more about magic. Students, young and old, ran past Loon's table, but did not acknowledge his existence. He read a few books on supposed methods of casting magic. One was clearly for stickler wizards using raw mathematics to cast spells, claiming the somatic components of spells must be at calculated angles, and blah blah blah. Another was probably written by bards, because it stated that magic is a thing that must be coaxed into usefulness. This could be any kind of process, as long as it is roughly the same as every other time you perform spells. From all this, Loon learned that magic was still a toss-up on how to cast it, and really, if you learned one way, then... That's just the way you do it. Eventually, Loon looked at his watch and noticed it was six in the morning. Closing and putting away the books, Loon rushed out of the college and ran to Samil and Emil's smithy. He arrived at 7.58, heavily winded. Oi, he made it! Samil exclaimed, surprised. Get yourself a hammer, knife, and go over to Emil. Loon grabbed a large smith's hammer from the stand on the floor. He spotted Emil at another anvil. It was now that Loon saw the light of the forge. In the center was a burning furnace, and on either side of the forge there were anvils and quenching troughs. Huge racks of assorted heavy tools hung on the walls. Loon walked to Nabil, who was hammering away at a pitchfork. He looked up and saw Loon. Hey, you made it. Follow along and try to keep up. At that, a hammer fell with a shattering clang. That was Legion of Stars Chapter 4. All of the story is written and produced by one Alex Peer. All of the world of Teladar has been created by Luke Warner. And I'd like to thank my script editor yet again, who remains unnamed. Uh, if you'd like to support the show, you can go to the Patreon. It exists. There's a $5 tier. You get all of these scripts as soon as I'm done recording the audio for these uh, episodes. Or if you don't want to pay me money, then you can just go over to YouTube, hit subscribe, maybe hit like while you're there. And if you're on Spotify, leave a review and follow the show. The more listeners, the better. But until then, we here at Studio Warlock would like to say safe travels and happy hunting.
Studio Warlock hopes that you've enjoyed this program.